There's a person who can spot threats in the sky before they become threats. They can reassemble a pistol in 15 seconds and maintain equipment so advanced most don't even know it exists. That person's you. There are more than 50 roles to choose from in the RAF. You'll receive world-class training to develop new and existing skills. And you can do it full-time as a regular or in your spare time as a reservist. Find your role in the RAF. Search RAF Recruitment now. It's Wednesday, the 15th of June, 2016. Happy birthday to Salah Mejri. My name is Josh Lloyd, and if you want to be like Chim8817, and why wouldn't you want to be like him, all you need to do is leave a review on iTunes, and you can become a sponsor of the podcast. Thank you, Chim. Thank you, everyone who's done that. And of course, thank you to Fantrax, who are sponsoring today's podcast. If you don't know what Fantrax is, I suggest you get well acquainted with what Fantrax offers. They are the best place to host any of your fantasy leagues, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, any particular sport that you're looking for. Fantrax is the place to do it. Not only are they great in terms of just the look of the site, which has had a massive upgrade over the last 12 months. So if you've used Fantrax in the past and were turned off by the aesthetic look of it, forget about it. It's changed. It's all completely different. But the the options when setting up a league on Fantrax are absolutely mesmerizing. You can do contracts. You can do salaries. You can have salary caps. You can have real player salaries. You can have minor league squads. You can trade draft picks. You can trade draft picks into the future. You can do, and this is something I forgot about that I hadn't mentioned previously, you can do three-team trades. You can do multi-team trades. Now, you can't do that on ESPN. If you want to do a three-team trade, it's going to require long email threads. And, okay, you do this trade, and then when it gets executed, and when the commissioner pushes it through, then we'll do this trade, and then we'll sort it out that way. What a load of shit. On Fantrax, go ahead, get all three teams in, submit the trade, execute it, push the button, bang, it's done. The three-team trade works. How much how much better is that? I'm sure plenty of you would have been angling for three-team trades in many of your fantasy leagues without having to do it through forums or, or message boards or text message or email. Forget about it. Fantrax does it straight for you. They do everything for you. The machinations of all dynasty and salary cap leagues, Fantrax has absolutely got you covered. So make sure you're thinking of taking your fantasy league across to Fantrax because if you do, I, re, I, uh, I guarantee you, you won't, you won't regret what Fantrax has got. Now, when you go and... Um, when you go and sign up for Fantrax with a new account, there will be a promo code that Fantrax will be offering, and that promo code is REDROCK. And every week, the guys at Fantrax will, Fantrax will pick someone who's used that sign-up code REDROCK, and they will give them Fantrax credit, which can be used to upgrade your league to a uh, to a premium model, which uh, I think is a seventy nine ninety five cost for a premium league, which includes every single feature they've got. But one person each week that signs up for Fantrax using that promo code REDROCK will get, will get a chance to win um, win themselves $100 worth of Fantrax credits. So make sure you're checking out Fantrax. Go and sign up, and if and then use that promo code REDROCK, and you can uh, get yourself a, a free premium league uh, over on Fantrax. So I do highly suggest that you do that. Talking about other fantasy sports, I am going to be launching a Red Rock Fantasy Football podcast. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to follow that account on Twitter, it's Red Rock Football. Um, 
that'll just tell you when, when episodes are coming. We're still working on uh, the details of it. It won't be me hosting the podcast because uh, I don't know enough about football to do it, but uh, the people that I'm going to be getting hosting the podcast, I do have great faith in their ability, and I've seen some of the plans, um, you know, season-long plans and episode plans that they're putting together, and it looks really fantastic. So I am really looking forward to Red Rock Football. Uh, when that launches, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So make sure all you fantasy football people don't stop listening to this podcast, obviously, but check out Red Rock Fantasy Football when that launches as well. We're here today to to wrap up, well, not wrap up because there's a couple more to go, but to to get into the final stretch of these season in review podcasts. We're going to be covering the Toronto Raptors in today's one. So let's get to it, to it. Tomorrow, we're going to be doing the San Antonio Spurs, and then the the schedule for the season reviews is a little bit up in the air. If the Warriors close out the finals in Game 6, then we'll do the Cavs the next day, and we'll do the Warriors the next day. If it pushes to a Game 7, I'm not going to wrap up the Cavaliers and the Warriors season before their season's actually finished, so we'll push those to next week. So we could have the next four days might be filled with season review podcasts, or we might have a break after the Spurs while we wait for Game 7 to take place. Regardless, on Saturday evening US time, uh, Sunday morning Australian time, there will be a mega NBA mock draft pod with myself and a bunch of other uh, NBA and fantasy writers going through the, the whole first round of the NBA draft and making selections for our fake team. So make sure you're checking that out. Obviously, all the details will be announced um, in terms of links to watch it live and to listen to it once it's done via Facebook, via Twitter, via all the, the usual locations. Toronto Raptors. Um, pretty good season. Uh, you, you have to say it's a success. To, to finish with the, the second seed in the Eastern Conference, to win a playoff series, to win two playoff series, and to push the Cavs, um, you know, to push them, to push them to six games, it's um, it's an accomplishment for a team that had struggled to get out of the first round for so many years. Yeah, they did it, and it wasn't pretty a lot of the time. Yeah, the Pacers taking them to seven, not ideal. The Heat taking them to seven without Hassan Whiteside. Yes, no Jonas Valanciunas as well, but still not ideal. But the Raptors persevered, and they pushed through, and I think that's really key for this team's development. And winning those two against Cleveland, I think, was, was massive as well. Winning those two at home in Game 3 and 4, it's huge for this team. And as a Raptors fan, I can't see any way that you're disappointed. Yeah, you would have loved to have gotten to the finals, but just to, to take yourself an extra step into the conference finals, it's massive for this the sport of basketball in Canada, for the Raptors, for Raptors fans, who honestly are long-suffering. And it's great to see that success come their way. So fantastic stuff to uh, to all the Toronto Raptors fans. And I know there's lots there's lots of Raptors fans that listen to this podcast. Actually, one of the probably the biggest or most supported teams that actually has the listeners. I phrase that really poorly in terms of people supporting teams. Rap, the Raptors would have to be right up there with the most percentage of listeners that listen to this podcast. A stack of people listening are from Toronto and uh, and a big Raptors fan. So huge, huge performance from them throughout the season and uh, yeah, a bit shaky in the playoffs but still it doesn't matter if you're shaky and you and you win two series it's still two series and uh, everything yeah, looking okay and there's obviously a few questions for them heading into the off season mostly DeMar DeRozan and Bismack Biombo. and let's let's look at their unrestricted free agency or their free agency situation heading into next season We've got DeMar DeRozan, who has officially declined his player option now, so he will become an unrestricted free agent. Bismack Biombo has done the same. He's declined his um, player option to become an unrestricted free agent. They've got Jason Thompson, James Johnson, and Louis Scola as unrestricted free agents as well. Now, neither of those guys, uh, those other three, apart from DeRozan and Biombo, are big contributors. Yes, Scola started a fair chunk of games. He was also pretty bad in majority of those games that he started. James Johnson was uh, invisible for majority of the season, and Jason Thompson came uh, came in late 
um, and you know, provided a couple of good performances, but overall it's not going to really kill this team if any of those or if none of those three return next season. The Raptors did finish with a record of 56-26 and 26 on the season. They do have two first-round draft choices, uh, pick nine and pick 27. Pick nine coming courtesy of the New York Knicks' Andrea Bagnani trade a couple of seasons ago. So still, like, that's a, it's obviously a superb deal to get that, to get a top 10 pick for a guy who's now playing in Europe. Um, it is absolutely, it's thievery from the Raptors and they they don't have glaring glaring holes at this point so they can literally just take best player available or you know if Biombo leaves they look for someone to fill that sort of role but whatever they've got you know a really great opportunity to to really improve their team in in depth and rotation type players and that's exactly what they'd be looking for at pick 9 Let's get through these players now and start to talk about them in a little bit more detail. The first one of those that I do want to talk about is, of course, Kyle Lowry, who had a tremendous, tremendous season. He was the 11th-ranked player in nine-cat leagues, up from 31st last season. He was a top-10 eight-cat guy, ranked ninth um, and and uh, 13th last season. So, no, sorry, not 13th, 22nd last season. A big jump. He did have a drop-off post-All-Star break. There's no denying that. In nine-cat, he was seventh pre-All-Star Post All-Star, 40th. In 8-cat, 5-25. and 25. So a bit of a drop-off, and we've seen that happen with Lowry quite a few times over the course of his career, that he does start to get banged up, he does start to get worn down. But overall, it's real tough to complain about anything that Lowry did. He um, he had a, a great on-off number, um, 7.3, which led the team. You know, he was He's the key player on this team. He ended up playing 37 minutes a game over the course of the season, including playoffs, 21 points, 2.6 triples, 4.7 rebounds and 6.3 assists, also two steals, a 42% shooting, 80 from the line, and hit 37% of his three. So I don't think many people would look at it and go, well, I'm going to get these big numbers from Kyle Lowry, or, or 2.6 triples at least, 21 points, six assists, almost five rebounds. He was absolutely tremendous and you know, obviously a key part in taking this team as far as they did. He's 30 years old. He's on a really good, a fantastic contract, in fact. He's got one more year at 12 million, then a player option for 12 million after that. But he's 30 years old. So we have a look at that and think, how much longer does he keep up that level? Would you be comfortable taking Kyle Lowry in the top 12 next season in a eight-cat league? I don't think I would. I think I'd be a little bit hesitant. Would I be happy taking him at 14 or 15? Yeah, I reckon I'd be okay with that. But I think if everything was um, working the way that it should, I would love to be taking him around 16 or 17. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. I, I don't, again, it's really early, so my, my projections and rankings haven't come out yet. But I don't think that I'm going to be looking at Kyle Lowry as, as a top 12 pick, as a first-round selection next season. It might turn out that that is the case, but I, I'm really a little bit doubtful. And maybe some of that is the fact of the... Um, the way that he did tail off and had some some poor games in the playoffs, but he also had some really strong games in the playoffs, which are not not a lot of people really pay attention to. Yes, he was putrid in a big stretch of them, but he willed the team to victory in quite a few of those as well. Advanced numbers were superb. He was a fifty eight percent true shootage, which is which true true not true shootage true shooting, uh, with a usage of twenty six. Win shares eleven point six is a massive number. Almost, or he clearly led the team in win shares per forty eight. Massive box score plus minus of six point eight. Huge numbers right across the board. A huge PER of 22 as well. Really just every sort of box that you could possibly tick. Kyle Lowry ticked that box. Huge assist percentage, low turnover, low-ish turnover percentage. 
in not not the highest turnover percentage on the team, which as a point guard is something that's you know, it's relatively rare. You've got plenty of other guys who turn the ball over more than what Lowry did, and he was absolutely superb this season. But I don't I don't think that he is a top ten player again next season. I, I would. If I had to go one way, I'm going the other way. And I'm saying that, no, he won't be a top 10 player next season. So use that sort of thought process to your advantage in a dynasty league or use it however you want. But I think in a dynasty league, if someone's offering you top 10 with upside or a player who's maybe the 12th or 13th with the upside to go into the top seven, I'd really consider doing it. It might be a, a half step backwards for a season, but you might get three steps forward for the next three seasons. So that's the way that you really got to approach these dynasty and keeper leagues and have a look at the way that... You can I take a minimal step back for a big gain in two years without losing too much? And I think that Lowry might be that guy who's sort of right in that spot that might be able to get, you know, even if he drops from 9th to 18th and you get a guy that rises from 12th to 10th, it's a win. And I think that's the way, and it's, and it's maybe it's a little bit nitpicky, it's a little bit you're sort of massaging things just to you know, work it out, but sometimes just a little massage of a team is all that's needed to push it from 3rd to 1st. That might be a way you can look at it. So that's the sort of, you know, again, not disparaging anything Kyle Lowry did, but the injuries that, that he has had, the uh, the form drop-offs, and you know, fatigue will become more apparent as he gets older. And he said playing as 30 years old this season. So there is there is definitely a concern there. DeMar Rosen, quite a polarizing figure, I think, in, in the NBA and in fantasy circles. He had a tremendous, tremendous fantasy season this year. He was the 48th-ranked player in NICAT, up from 84th, so he almost doubled his rank. 40th in 8-cat, up from 73rd. Really consistent all across the, the season. But when you look at some of his advanced numbers, they're not spectacular through the regular season and through the playoffs. He was a negative 6.1 in on-off numbers. You know, in stark contrast to what Lowry did, we're talking about a difference of 13 points, 13.5 points between Lowry's on-off and DeRozan's on-off. Big, big numbers. And some of that's because of, of the play of the guys behind DeRozan, like Norman Power, like Corey Joseph, who also backed up Kyle Lowry, I know that. And the fact that DeRozan does certain things, and they do help in fantasy, but they can be detrimental in a real-life sort of situation. DeRozan did have you know, a really... He had, he had a good season. Uh, there's no denying that. He has his issues, and he had his issues in the playoffs. But as some of the issues in the playoffs came with that thumb issue, when that really did hurt his shooting, because he wasn't a horrible shooter for the season. He was a 44% shooter over the course of the season, and that's not terrible. It's not like the 36 that he was shooting for a lot of the playoffs. He averaged 23 points a game, and he hit half a three. And I used DeMar DeRozan as an example so many times where people are like, I don't want DeMar DeRozan. He doesn't shoot threes. That's true. He's a really poor three-point shooter. His last five seasons from the three-point line, he shot 26, 28, 31, 28, and 31. He has He's never averaged a three-pointer per game. That's fine. But he averages 23 points. How many people do that? He gets to the line eight times a game and converts 84% of them. How many people do that? Unless your name's James Harden or Danilo Gallinari. Who does it? Kevin Durant? Yeah, maybe. He is one of the best guys at bumping up your free throw percentage. He is an elite scorer. He's an underrated assists man at 3.8 as a shooting guard. Four and a half rebounds, 1.1 steals. These are all pretty good numbers. And he's not a top 10 player. He's not Kyle Lowry. We know that. But he is a great option in those middle rounds. If you need a scoring bump, if you need to rescue your free throws, if you don't get DeRozan, forget about it. You're not, you're not rescuing these numbers. 
Now, I think a guy like Andrew Wiggins sort of projects to be a DeMar DeRozan type in fantasy anyway. A heavy scorer, a pretty decent volume free throw shooter. Wiggins needs to work on his rebounding and his assist numbers, but that's the way that he can sort of project. And a lot of the time, especially in head-to-head, you're looking at guys, how can this guy help rather than where doesn't he hurt? And I have the opposite view in Roto. Where doesn't he hurt versus how can he help? And DeRozan helps. He helps points a lot. He helps free throws a lot. Yeah, out of position assists, he's pretty good at it. Yes, he doesn't hit threes, but it's not a it's not a negative. What is it's a slight negative, but it's not it's not a terrible number, and it can be easily made up for. You pair him with Lowry, and, and you're already ahead of the curve in terms of your three point shooting. You pair him with Ryan Anderson, Mirza Toledovic, a three. You stream a three point specialist, and you already you already solved the problem. So that doesn't concern me, and it shouldn't concern you when looking at him. Now, all odds are pointing towards Demar Derozan re-signing this season. Or for next season, sorry, if he doesn't and he heads to the Lakers, say, which is the other rumored destination, or wherever he goes, I imagine he's going to be the same guy. He'll score, he'll be a slight detriment in your field goal percentage, he'll get to the line a shitload, he'll hit a lot of free throws, he'll give you nice rebounds, nice assists, decent steals, and he won't shoot threes. And that is exactly who he'll be, no matter where he is. I don't really see much changing with DeRozan. Will he be a top 50 player again? Maybe that's a stretch, because he did have a significant jump this season. Um, But... Yeah, inside inside the top seventy, yeah, he's definitely there for at least the next three seasons. I would, you'd have to consider him a top seventy player for the next three seasons, just for his ability to get you know, points and get free throw percentage and get him in big volume. And that will start to drop off, especially the free throws as he gets older. But for now, I think we can feel pretty reliant on uh, Demar Derozan being that same sort of player for the next couple of seasons. Talked about his on-off numbers not being spectacular. His advanced numbers aren't superb. His win shares are pretty good, 9.9, but he's, he's a fair way down on the uh, when the win shares per 48 list, and his defensive, or his overall box score plus minus was not great. It was just a 1.4. Now, that is third on the team because there's a lot of poor box score plus minuses on this team. Um, defensively, he was a negative, a negative 1.2, so he does struggle on that end, And he had a, but he had a, a great PR, a 21.5 PR, 55 true shooting, and if and I did have a question about the advanced stats, which I'll talk about later on. Um, Danny sent in a question asking if I could explain some of the advanced stats. So if you stick around for the end of the show, I will go through it and give a brief explanation of what some of these advanced stats that I that I talk about are. So overall, he was pretty good, but he was a long way off in terms of the, the overall scope of this team, a long way off the impact that Kyle Lowry has. And if anyone tries to convince you that DeRozan's more important than Lowry, and I don't think many people would do that, but if they do, uh, they're wrong. And DeRozan's solid for what he is, but... If they lost him, I don't think they should be overly broken up about him. Now, he's obviously going to get a max deal, and he's going to get many years. And he's not old. It's not like paying Al Horford a max at uh, at 30 years of age. He's 26. So by the time that five-year deal ends, he's 31, and he's still going to be a relatively effective player. So I don't think there's any real concern with that. But if you lose him and don't have to play him 20 million, then you can put someone else into that spot, like my boy Normie Powell, and feel relatively confident that you're going to get you know, solid production, not the same Tomato Rosen level production because there's just very few people who are as adept at scoring and getting to the rim as DeRozan, but you'll still get some decent numbers. Got a few boyfriends on this team, and one of them is Jonas Valanciunas. I am constantly dismayed at the way that Dwayne Casey utilizes him. He underutilizes him just all the time. He refuses to play him during the regular season, and I keep waiting. When are we going to get the Jonas breakout season? When's it going to happen? Even without a breakout, he's still 
he's still bloody good. He was the 52nd ranked player in nine cat leagues. That's up from last season. 65 in eight cat leagues. He was a negative 1.5 with his on-off numbers, which is not spectacular. But he did average 13 and nine and a half in just 26 minutes, and that is the ludicrous figure to me. 26 minutes. 0.5 steals, 1.3 blocks, which is a real improvement. He was real a guy that struggled to get blocks. 57% from the field, 76 from the line, and a monster field goal percentage. Really good free throw percentage as a big man. We saw in the playoffs, he he kicked it up, yeah, multiple multiple notches, and really started to look like the best player on this team in stretches. If we look at what he did in the playoffs before that ankle injury curtailed what he was able to do, he was averaging 14 and 11 with 1.2 blocks, shooting 57% from the field, and 14 and nine or 14 and 10. And by the way, he did that in 27 minutes a game. 14 and 10, 15 and 10 is not crazy for Valanciunas. One and a half blocks, 57% shooting, 78 from the line. These are not not crazy expectations for him, I don't think. I am super hyped for him, but all it takes is Casey to just start mucking around with his minutes and go, we're playing him 26. It is ridiculous to me that he doesn't... I don't, I'm not sure that Casey realizes how good he is. Now, there were a lot of quotes that came out at the end of the season. We are going to have to feed it to Jonas Moore. We saw how much they missed him when he went out in the playoffs because he was legit tearing opposition teams, multiple new assholes. He was all over the place. He was doing lots and lots of stuff. Will that actually remain true? Will he give him more minutes? Will he give him 30? That is the million-dollar question. If I had to bank on it, I would say that Valanciunas is a top 50 player next season. What is his upside? His upside is top 35. His upside is possibly top 30. That's how good I think this guy can be. Just by monster rebounding, monster scoring, huge percentages, solid block, great free throw. That's five categories. And then if you are playing with turnovers, he's not a high turnover player as well. So there's a lot to like. Yeah, you're not getting assists. You're not getting steals. And you're definitely not getting three-pointers from Jonas. But he is an offensive force. He's a rebounding force. And you saw exactly what he could do in those playoff series. And that is be completely dominant at times when they fed him the ball. Now, if DeRozan leaves, I feel even more confident of, of Valanciunas becoming a huge part. Casey had to have seen how how much better the offense ran when they didn't just jack up shots with Larry and DeRozan. Get it into Valanciunas, establish him early, and shit just worked out. And that's what they've got to take into next season. That's what DeRozan has to realize, and that's what Lowry has to realize as well. And maybe they've had their eyes opened. Maybe they haven't. I haven't really... Uh, we, had, we don't know that for sure at this point. We look at his advanced numbers. He was uh, pretty high up there in terms of the um, the win shares on this team. Um, third on the team behind DeRozan and Lowry. It, the team leader comfortably in win shares per 48 because he just didn't play the minutes. His box score plus minus was uh, was fourth on the team. He posted a PER of a team-leading PER of 22.6 on a true shooting of 61%. He had... A usage of just above average, a 20.9. That's not a big average. He's a great rebounder offensively and defensively. I I really like Valanciunas, and I think that the odds of him becoming a top 50 player are greater than of him not becoming a top 50 player. He's right on the borderline now, so that's not like I'm putting my balls on the table and saying, you know, here we go, look at this, look at me, I'm I'm the big man here. But I think that he can go pretty high. I think that he can become a really key contributor in the NBA and across fantasy basketball circles. Demar Rosen, if I needed to use the phrase piss poor to describe one player on this team, it's probably Demar Rosen. Not Demar Rosen, Demari Carroll. 
too many Demars. Demara Carroll. Yes, he had knee injuries. Yep, granted. Was he good before the knee injury? No. Was he good after the knee injury? No. And you give people, you cut them some slack. Coming back from an injury, you go, you know what, that's fine. You maybe rush yourself back, even though he's out for about five months. You rush yourself back. You got to catch your breath. You got to get your fitness back. You got to get back acclimatized to playing with a team who's used to not playing with you. All that's fine. But he was bad before the knee injury. He was the 125th ranked player in nine cat before the injury. 54th he was last season. And we've seen the Atlanta Hawks turn small forwards who are crap into small forwards who are good. 2015 example, Kent Bazemore. 2014-15 example. Damari Carroll. So that's... I talked about this on the Atlanta show. Wherever Bazemore goes, I'm really nervous about him replicating any of the numbers he had. Carroll? He just he just wasn't good. He, he struggled uh, offensively. He struggled defensively. And yeah, the injury didn't help. And he only ended up playing 46 games for the season. But he still played 30 minutes in those games. And he just didn't look good. He only played one minute less than what he did last season, but averaged a full two and a half points less. Ten points a game, he went 1.6 triples, less rebounds, 4.4, only one assist, 1.3 steals, and shot a putrid 39% from the field. He shot 66 from the free throw line and did shoot 37 from three. But he shot 40% from three last year. He shot 49% from the field. He had big, big drop-offs without the Hawks' ball movement offensive system. He, He floundered. And I reckon it's fair to say that you won't be getting a top 60 season out of Damari Carroll again. I I feel it fairly confident of that. Will he be a guy to pick in your last three picks? Sure. But part of his value was that he just did bits and pieces of everything. He gave you nice rebounding numbers for a small forward. He shot the ball really well from three. He contributed threes, but he wasn't an overall superb fantasy player. And that turned out this way again this season, that he just, when all the shooting dropped off and the scoring dropped off, he offers nothing. And it was a real, um, I don't know, it was a disappointment for him. And I was I was definitely concerned for him heading into the season because of that Atlanta thing where he'd been just terrible in Utah, turned it up a million notches in Atlanta, and then goes to Toronto, and, and it's dropped off as well. So it's going to be an interesting target. If you do believe in a, in a bounce back from Carroll, now is definitely the time to, to go for him because, you know what, if I have him, I'm selling him for, for anything outside the top 100 at this point because I'm just not sure that he ever returns even top 75 value at this stage. I'm really, I am a little bit concerned uh, about what the future holds for Damari Carroll, and he's, he's going to be 30 years old next season. He's not a young player. He had a really poor PR of 11.9. Win shares, he was way down the list. 11th on this team of win shares, but that's not really fair given how few games he had. It's better to look at win shares per 48. Where did he fit there? Ah, oh, 13th. Yeah, that's not good. A box score plus minus of just 0.2. He was a league average offensively, just above average defensively. Vorp's not good. Horrible true shooting. Just nothing good about Damari Carroll. On-off numbers, still a negative 2.2. Like not, not a positive in, in that stat either. Really, really concerned uh, about what he's going to bring moving forward. Let's talk Bismack Biombo. Um, we definitely need to talk Bismack Biombo because he apparently, according to people that listen to this show, not everyone, some of the people that listen to this show and people that follow me on Twitter, that he is the second coming of Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, I put out, and I'd seen this plenty of times before, I, I put out you know, a Twitter poll who would you want on your team? 
Bismarck, Biombo, or Nolan's Noel. And Noel won, but like 35% said Biombo. I'm shocked it got to 10%. Biombo's fine. Really decent defensive player. Absolutely atrocious offensively. And yeah, he, he had some big gains, but our perception, or a lot of people's perception, is skewed by what happens in the playoffs. He, he grabbed 26 rebounds in a playoff game. Yeah, he did. He did. He also scored like zero points in that game until about the last four minutes. And and I think a great way of illustrating not necessarily what he brings, but what he doesn't bring, is by looking at his on and off numbers. When when he was... He, overall, he... he is that the, I'm trying to look. Am I looking at playoffs? I completely lost where I am now. Regular season, on-off numbers. Bismack Biombo. He was a negative 1.3 for the season. So when when he played... Actually, the, the best way of phrasing it is the team's defense was better with him on the bench by four points per 100 possessions. Now, their offense was was obviously, was also much better with him uh, on the bench too, unsurprisingly. But overall, the team was worse with him sitting with him starting versus him sitting on the bench. And that's not great. In the playoffs, it did change, and he was a plus 2.7. But you know what Jonas... Not, I, hate, I hate when I say Jonas. You know what Jonas Valanciunas was? He was a 7.3 in the playoffs. Valanciunas is streets and away a better player than Bismarck Biombo. And there were plenty of people who said, look, get rid of Jonas, just play Biombo more. And I understand that because you know, big dunk, junk, dunk rejections, people going up for slams and getting the shot blocked, it's pretty sexy. It's the sexiest defensive play you can have. And Biombo did it lots of times. He's got character. He's got personality. He's also just got no hands. He's got no ball handling ability. He, he, he turns the ball over just a shitload. He played 23 minutes a game this year. He averaged 5.7 points. That is not a lot. Um, 8.3 rebounds. That's 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 good rebounding numbers. I'll give him that. 0.3 steals. Doesn't get his hand on balls there. 1.6 blocks. 55% shooting. Fine on 3.5 attempts. Poor free throw shooter on 62%. Almost as many free throws per game as field goal attempts. And in those minutes, 0.9 turnovers. Again, which is... Not much, but in limited minutes, it's not great for a guy who who literally is just getting the ball and dunking it. He's not doing anything else. And this might sound like I'm, I'm hating on Bismarck Biombo. I'm not. He was the 160th ranked player in nine cat leagues and 179th in eight cat leagues. Someone is going to pay a lot of money for Bismarck Biombo, and it's going to be too much. If he gets $20 million a year, it's too much. I know that there's an expanded cap and it's it's risen up, but Jesus, $20 million for a guy who, who you almost can't play offensively is a concern to me. And the Rap, the Raptors aren't going to have any chance, I think, of, of re-signing Biombo at this point. So he's going to go somewhere else. He's probably going to be made into a starting center. He's probably going to be drafted in standard leagues, and it's probably going to be a mistake. If I own him in a dynasty league now, I am parlaying the the thought process, the love, the fact that people think he's a better player than Nerland's Noel, the fact that people think he's a better player than Jonas Valanciunas, I'm parlaying that into a high-value prospect, player, pick, whatever. If someone thinks he's going to be a top 50 player, they're dreaming. If someone thinks that he's going to be a 75 chance, top 75 player, they may be dreaming. I, I, can't, I can't see it with Biombo. His per 36 numbers put him at 223rd. Valanciunas put him at 32nd. Yeah, he'll get more minutes. He might. He'll probably play 28 minutes a night. He might score seven points. He'll probably get 10 rebounds. He might get 1.8 blocks. But 
what are you getting? Rebounds and blocks, two categories. It's not enough to, to jump him that high. And, you know, I don't mind grabbing him with a last pick in a draft, but I think he is going to be extraordinarily overrated heading into next season. Now, his defensive box score plus minus was great, and that's not surprising. It was 2.3. It was second on the team. He's offensive box score plus minus was a negative 2.4 so overall he was a negative in defense in box score plus minus his win shares were pretty high but they weren't superb that 5.9 that so they were up there he was the fifth on the team in win shares per 48 so he was impactful and i'm not saying he's a bad player but i think if you're paying 20 million dollars a year for him and i think if he's playing 30 minutes a night i think your team's gonna gonna struggle and i don't think it's gonna work out and conversely it's gonna get people to start reaching for him inside the top 80 and I'm not going to be happy with it at this point, unless something completely changes my mind, which is always possible. I just don't think that uh, that Bismack is... uh, I think he's going to be an overbought player next season. Terrence Ross. I had some relatively high hopes for Terrence Ross heading into the season before... This is early, before Damari Carroll signed. All right, cool. He's heading into his fourth season. He's probably going to be the starting three. He's, He's shown some signs... Oh, he didn't show anything. He was coming off a severe ankle injury. Yep, that's all here. He's ready to go. Well, he was pretty poor this season. 2.4 on off, and 161st in 9-cat and 186th in 8-cat leagues. Not that good. He only played 22 minutes a game and had 9 points. 1.6 triple, that's where his value comes from, and a .7 steals. 42, 76, and 38. So he's still a really good three-point shooter. He's signed for the next four seasons on a pretty good deal for, for Terrence Ross, and he fits into a, a really nice um, yeah, backup two, backup three role. Would he be the ideal guy to replace DeMar DeRozan if Rosen, DeRozan left? No, I'd much rather give it to Normie Powell, but he's a guy that fits in and plays 25 minutes behind Carroll, behind um, behind DeRozan. I wouldn't even have an issue if he, if he played over Carroll, to be honest. I don't really rate Carroll given what we've seen I just, I'm not sure is he a starting guy moving forward Is does Ross assume a starting job given the, the ages and the contract lengths does Ross assume a starting role before the 2017 season wouldn't be wouldn't be crazy to me I, I, I do think that Ross has got some talent he can be a guy that, that gets steals, he hits threes, he can score, he can do it with a solid free throw percentage. So he's not going to be a multi-cat contributor. He's not going to be you know, dishing dimes all of a sudden or blocking shots or anything like that. But there's a possibility in a starter's role, he hits two threes a game and scores 16 points. That's that's not completely out of control, I wouldn't have thought. And I think that he can be a, a solid-ish player. He was sort of right on average with the win shares per 48. He was a pretty solid contributor an average box score plus minus. And when you look at their box score plus minus, him and Bismarck Biombo, the same. And that's the sort of, you know, you, you, if you said to people, who's better, Bismarck Biombo or Terrence Ross, and no, box score plus minus doesn't you know, work that out exactly. But there's not one person who would tell you Terrence Ross. Not one. Yet, some of these numbers, he's pretty close. Yeah, you know, true shooting of 55 is, is only marginally behind, below average for a guy who's considered a gunner. He hit a lot of threes. He is an interesting player to meet Ross, and he's got a chance of having... He hasn't had one yet. I think he's got a chance of having at least one top 100 season in his career, whether that's through injury to someone else or a slight bump. But he could he could be at some point a, a top 100, top 90 player down the road. My hope for him has dropped a little, but it hasn't completely evaporated. Patrick Patterson. I thought Patrick Patterson was in line for a really big season. Who's going to be the starting power forward? 
Has to be Patrick Patterson. Oh, no, it doesn't because Louis Skoll is going to start. He's going to do nothing in his 10, 15 minutes a night. And he's going to let the Raptors get off to a horrible start because he's out there. And Patterson's going to come in with a bench unit and he's going to look good. He's going to post tremendous on-off number of 10.3, just tremendous. Defense-wise, he was great in anyone playing uh, daily fantasy. If your power forward was going up against the Raptors, forget it. You, you, they just weren't scoring. And that is a weird thing to say about Patrick Patterson. But he couldn't translate it into box score stats. He was 171st in nine cat leagues. He was 196th in eight cat leagues. And he had a real chance, I thought, to, to establish himself as a top 100 player. Didn't happen. He only averaged seven points in his 26 minutes a game. And he only took six shots a game. That's really, really low. And again, it's just because of the perimeter based nature of this offense with DeRozan and Lowry just taking so many bloody shots. They're the only two guys who averaged two attempts per game. Oh, sorry. Let's try that again. They're the only two guys that average double-digit attempts per game. Patterson hit 1.33s, and he did it at 35%, which is a bit of a drop. You would have hoped for him to shoot close to that 36-37 mark. But 7 points, 4 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.4 um, blocks, 41% shooting is pretty poor, and 85% from the free-throw line. Key contributor, really great role player. Fantasy-wise, it's really deep league stuff only. Even when... you. Know, given an opportunity to start, which he was occasionally. He didn't start many games, but he did start some. He just didn't get enough minutes to really be not important. That's the wrong way of phrasing it. Actually, he didn't start any games, I'm surprised. I thought he started a couple. He was important, but he just didn't do enough for us to get excited from a fantasy point of view. In terms of you know, moving forward, he's got one one year left at $6 million. He's only 27 years old. So he you're going to be able to maintain that similar sort of production you would think over the next couple of seasons. He pushes onto a, a team where he gets 30 minutes a night, then it obviously jumps up. But for now, he's really just a specialist three-point stream guy and, and a deeper league consideration player. The Raptors are continually looking to upgrade that power forward spot. So it wouldn't be a surprise if he plays less minutes next season than what he did this year, even with Luis Scola, most likely not on the team. In terms of what he was able to do with his, uh, his advanced type numbers, they weren't great. His PER was uh, was below average. His win shares were below average. His box score plus minus, though, was pretty good. It, it was up there on this team. It was fifth on the team ahead of guys like Carroll and Biombo and Ross, all these guys who you know, probably are thought of a fair bit higher than what Patrick Patterson is. But you know, he had some... Um, he had some work to do in his game. He, 59% of his shots were from three last season, so he obviously had a, a clear role, and that limited what he was able to do rebound-wise and his field goal percentage as well. Luis Scola. Patrick Patterson had an on-off of 10.3. Luis Scola had a negative 10.8 in his on-off numbers. That is the difference between those two guys. Scholar was 191st in 9-cat, 204th in 8-cat leagues, and he was he was just poor. He played 20 minutes a night, which was probably 15 too many. 8 points, 0.83s, which is something he'd never done before in his career, and shot them at 38%, so that's something that you have to give him credit for. But 4.3 rebounds, 0.6 steals, basically it's just like looking at exactly what Patrick Patterson did, just slightly worse. And that's about where it stays. We know how old he is at this point. He is an unrestricted free agent. They want to upgrade that position. Maybe he comes back, but at 36 years of age, is Luis Scola going to be able to play 20 minutes a game anymore? You'd have to say no if you're answering at this point. And yeah, where's he, where's he impacting? He's probably impacting 20-team leagues and 30-team leagues if he comes back for one more season, and that's about it. 
he was he was quite poor in, in a number of areas. He was the uh, if you're not going to include the 84 minutes that Anthony Bennett played, or you're not going to going to include the 43 minutes that Bruno Cabolo plays played. Scholar was the worst player on this team in box score plus minus. His win shares were below average. They weren't far below, but they they were they were still below. Um, they were ahead of Patrick Patterson's though, and he is a, a real defensive issue. He's Defensive box score plus minus was a negative, but so was his offense. I think that playing Scholar as much as they did during the season was was a mistake. We saw him get phased out of the rotation at times in the playoffs. He had a couple of good games in the playoffs, but he was phased out for the majority of those playoffs. Corey Joseph, much like Patrick Patterson, I thought he was a real key part of their team, but it doesn't didn't show up fantasy-wise. Now, there was a portion in the season where he was a real solid 12-team league ad, but he dropped off considerably. He was the 225th-ranked 9-cat guy and 214th in 8-cat, but a, a positive 4.2 in the on-off, and that shows the sort of impact that he can have. Now, he averaged 8.5 points in his 25 minutes. He played back up 1, back up 2, half a 3, 2.5 rebounds, 3 assists, 0.8 steals, and 45% shooting. And that's one of the key things with Corey Joseph. He's always been a point guard who can provide really, really good field goal percentage. It wasn't quite the the elite level that had been previously in San Antonio. His previous three seasons had been 46, 48, and 50%. This year, he was down to 45%. And that's some of that is the fact that his role expanded and he only shot 28% from three when he was a 36% shooter last season. So which one is the real Corey Joseph? I'd probably lean towards being the below-average three-point shooter, given that the majority of his career he had been a below-average shooter, and aside for that one season in uh, in San Antonio where he put up those uh, those big numbers. Is there any chance of Corey Joseph becoming a standard league draftable player? No, not at this point. Um, it would require a Lowry injury. Is the, he their point guard of the future? No, I don't believe he is. I believe that's another guy that's sitting on their roster. Joseph, I think, is going to fit into that great sixth-man role who plays and finishes a lot of games in a three-guard lineup for this team and is quite a, a positive contributor on defense and, and can be a useful offensive player as well. But overall, like the, the numbers, hit, they didn't love him. The win shares were below average. The, and he was one of the worst in win shares per 48, marginally ahead of Damari Carroll, to be honest. So we were two of the worst players on this team in that metric. His box score plus minus was a negative. His PER was just 12.4. His true shooting was just 51. And nothing was really great statistically, offensively, defensively, traditional advanced box scores, apart from the on-off, where the team just played better with him on the court. And that does have some value, but we can't really use that in fantasy. Let's talk Normie Powell. I was really big into Normie Powell in the preseason after I saw him at Summer League. And I can't remember when I mentioned it. It was probably the Raptors um, season preview podcast. But I said, if DeMar DeRozan happens to leave at some point, I'm fairly confident that Powell will be their starting shooting guard of the future. I feel even more confident that that's going to be the case now if if DeRozan happens to go. Powell was a sensation. He, he started big chunks of time down the stretch with Carroll out. He was the 291st-ranked player in 9-cat leagues as a second-round guy, 300th in 8-cat, but post-All-Star, 135 and 158. They're really good numbers, and he was a guy that you had to own for stretches of time. There's plenty of players who become must-own for stretches of time, but Powell was super impressive. He only played 14 minutes a night. He averaged 5 points and hit .6 threes, but he gave you 2 rebounds, an assist, .6 steals, 42, 82, and 38, and we know what rookie percentages will do. 
would he be a, he could be a 45% shooter next season and, and maintain a 38% from three and play 21 minutes a game. And then you're looking at a guy who, who really comes into consideration for 14-team leagues. And if DeRozan leaves, it's all over. He's a guy that I'd want in 12-team leagues. I really was really, really impressed by everything that Normie Power did last season. What's his upside? I think he's got really significantly high upside. I think he's got top 70 overall upside. Again, it might be two seasons down the track, and it might only happen for two seasons. But I do think that Powell can be a fully-fledged NBA starter. Now, he couldn't play in the playoffs a lot of the time. He was played off the floor a lot, and that's fine. He's a rookie. It's the playoffs. We understand these things. Next season, he might still have some struggles. But I do believe that by the by the third or fourth season of this guy's career, Normie, that he will be a, uh, a starting-level player in the NBA and a player who's entrenched in the top 100. I think that he can be that guy. I've been a big fan of Norm for quite a while. And again, if you've listened to this podcast through the season, you should be well aware that I was a fan of Norm Powell for a very, very long time. And um, one of the ones that actually... And I always talk about the guys, my boys who, who do well. Austin Day used to be one of my boys as well. He didn't turn out so well. But a lot of them, it sometimes takes time, Evan Fournier. But Powell, in his first season, he saluted brilliantly. Jim Johnson... He was another guy who was one of my boys at one point. He was absolutely putrid this season. A negative 5.5 on off. He was 320th in 9-cat. He was 126 last season. He just couldn't see the floor. And given the way that he plays, he's super aggressive. He's a lot older than you think, James Johnson. He's 29 years of age. Is it the end for him? He used to be a real defensive dynamo, fantasy-wise especially. Look, he had a game two seasons ago, I think against the Bulls, five steals, five blocks. And we still average half a steal and half a block in 15 minutes. That's pretty impressive. But his explosiveness was just gone. He, he couldn't shoot. He used to be a great finisher and led to a really good field goal percentage. But just 47% this season, 57% from the line, 32 from three. He averaged 4.7 points and 0.4 triples. I'm not really sure where James Johnson goes from this. Yeah, he can be a nice guy that comes in. And if he's in a role where he's playing 25 minutes, then you, you have to pay attention in every league. Because his ability to get steals and blocks as a small forward is just super, super valuable. But I'm not sure that the Raptors are going to be looking to bring him back because I think there's a guy we're going to be talking about very shortly that might be looking for some of those minutes along the wing. And um, yeah, those 14 minutes a game that he got, sorry, 15 minutes a game that he got, well, Terrence Ross can get some of them. Normie Powell's going to get some of them. And uh, my boy Bruno might, uh, might be in line for a little bit of a role upgrade, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Bebe. If you don't know who Bebe is, it is Lucas Naguera, a player who was a first-round draft selection of the Atlanta Hawks a few seasons ago. He was traded to the Raptors in the Lou Williams deal. And we haven't seen much of him. He had an on-off of three for the season. That's pretty good. Positive three. He was 359th in nine-cat leagues and 154th in nine-cat per 36. I'm, I'm okay with that. He only played 34 games. He played seven and a half minutes a game. Two points, but 1.6 boards, 0.4 steals, 0.4 blocks, and shot 65% from the field. He also shot 33% from three. He didn't take many of them, but he he did take some. When um, Biombo was out during the season, which he missed some games, and Valanciunas, and when Valanciunas missed some games during the season, and so not when Biombo was out, when Valanciunas was out during the season, Biombo was starting. But there were games, and there was a few of them, that Bebe outplayed him. And they would go with Bebe for longer stretches than uh, what they would go with Biombo. 
Now, then Bebe got injured himself and hurt his ankle and sort of cost him that opportunity, but he was pushing. I think the Raptors are pretty confident with um, with Biombo being let go, given the amount of money he's going to get, given that they'll just slot Naguera into that role. And I think that Naguera can be really effective. I think that Naguera is probably already a better offensive player than what Biombo is, and he's probably not quite the defensive guy. He's not far away from being an impactful defender. He's a big guy. He's got a big afro. He's, he's, I was going to make a, a Fletch joke, but I'm not sure if anyone listening to this podcast has ever seen the movie Fletch, so I'll, uh, I'll save that joke for another time. He's a, he's a huge man, and he can be a real fantasy impact player, I think. And by fantasy impact, I mean a guy that you have to look at in 12-team leagues if he's given that role. Now, we could see his minutes, and I think we will see his minutes jump from 7.5 up to 18 or 19 a game, maybe even 20. I think they'll be looking to give more to Valanchunas, maybe 30 to 31, and then Naguera comes in at the backup role. Per 36, he averaged 10 points, almost 8 rebounds, but 1.7 steals and 1.7 blocks on 65% shooting. You can use that. Yes, he's a poor free throw shooter, but the attempts are very, very minimal. And that can always improve as well. But he is a guy that I think holds tremendous, tremendous intrigue for me moving forward. Win shares per 48, he was just behind Biombo. Box score plus minus, defensive box score plus minus, he led the team. Overall box score plus minus, second on the team. PER 15.6. Yeah, pretty good numbers. He only played 225 minutes, so the sample size is small. But everything is looking pretty impressive for Naguera. And I think that Biombo is still a better player. And anything I said about Biombo at the start of this podcast, I still think he's a really good player. He's an excellent defender, like top 2-3% defender in this league. It's just that he is such a negative in other areas that it limits what he can do fantasy-wise and then on-court-wise. Naguera is a better offensive player than him, I think. Look, he was only a negative 0.4 offensively in offensive box score plus minus. Biombo was a negative 2.4, and I think that's about right. It wouldn't shock me if Naguera has a season of 15 and 10 with two and a half blocks at some point in his career. I'm really, really interested, and I've been interested in him before he even came over um, when he was drafted by the Hawks and he played that season in Spain and missed most of that with a knee injury. I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. He's a name to watch because if uh, Biombo goes, you 16-team leaguers, you're going to be drafting the Guerra, and you dynasty leaguers, he's going to have an, an increased impact this season. Jason Thompson came across, he played uh, not a huge amount for this team, and he played the uh, he played the twenty uh, sorry the the nineteen games. He he was all right. A three point nine plus minus. You know, three hundred thirty six nine cat three sixty one eight cat. You're not really getting overly excited about Jason Thompson at this point in Jason Thompson's career. We know exactly who Thompson is. Two point seven points, two point five rebounds. That's what he is. He he gets you the same points and same rebounds. He shot forty eight percent from the field. He doesn't hit threes. He's not a big shot blocker. He doesn't get steals this is just who he is at this point. And that's fine. He knows his role. And honestly, he probably would have been more effective than Luis Scholar a lot of the time as a power forward. But he's 29 years of age. He will catch on somewhere. Absolutely. It'll be as a third power forward um, who plays a bit of backup center as well. But I'm not sure the Raptors are going to be falling all over themselves to bring him in. But if they lose Scholar and Biombo, then maybe getting some continuity in the backup big man stakes is not a bad thing. 
if you need decent rebounds and you see, well, this is a night where Thompson's going to get some minutes, then you look at him because he can get 10 rebounds a game pretty comfortably in 30 minutes. That's what he can do. He just can't do much else and he can't do much in terms of shooting or defensively. But he is, he's not hes not a stiff, he's, he's not horrible. Winchairs, he was um, he was decent, given he barely played for the team. And Winchairs per 48, he was right up there. He was fourth on the team in that metric, so that's pretty impressive. Had a really good defensive box score plus minus. He was above average in box score plus minus, almost at an average PER, good true shooting. I thought he acquitted himself really well in the 19 games he played for Toronto. He was really only used as an emergency piece, but I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back over Scola next season. Two guys left on this team, and they're two guys who I am uh, I am pretty interested in, and one of them is DeLon Wright. I was um, I was hoping that DeLon Wright went to Chicago last season. I was pretty happy that they got Bobby Portis, but I would have loved to have seen Wright as the backup point guard, and the Bulls are still obviously looking for a backup point guard. He was buried in... Uh, actually, initially I thought, you know what, he's going to fizz in a good situation here, because before Toronto had signed Corey Joseph, he's going to have a pretty nice role as the backup. They're going to groom him. And they signed Corey Joseph, and he barely played. But when we did see him play, I thought he was okay. I, I thought that Wright showed a lot. And if I'm another team in the NBA, he is a player that I am trying to get and trying to get for a second rounder. Uh, I would be I would be all over getting D'Lon Wright. I think he is a, a, he can be a really functional player who's a probably a bottom 15 starter at some point in his career. And on off of negative point one, he's pretty good as a rookie. 389th in nine cat, 389th in eight cat. None of that's really spectacular. And his numbers don't look you know, supreme. Only 7.5 minutes in, in 36 games, 3.3 points, 0.9 assists, 0.3 steals. But as a rookie to shoot 43 and then 36 from three, and that was sort of a concern about his game, what's his shooting percentage going to be like? I think that's pretty good. I reckon that's all right. Yeah, per 36, he was a 15.6, 5.5, 4.5 with 1.5 steals. 43, 71, 36. I think they're pretty good numbers. I, I do believe in Wright. Now, whether he does get traded somewhere else, it's going to take two, at least, well, probably three seasons for him to get a starting job if he gets one at all. But when he does, I think that he can be in that top half of drafts, a top 65 type of player. I do believe in uh, in D-Lon Wright. His advanced numbers, they're actually pretty good. He posted a really good win shares per 48, best bet, good for seventh on the team, ahead of Norm Powell. Ahead of Terence Ross, Scholar, Patterson, Joseph, Carroll, ahead of all those guys. Yeah, pretty nice numbers. Defensively, just a negative 0.6, which as a rookie and as a point guard, pretty good. PR of 17.8, great. True shooting, 54. And yeah, he only played 229 minutes, so it's not a big sample size. But it's still pretty good. I think that he he showed enough. And he did have his struggles, definitely. In um at Summer League, he had a lot of struggles. He had his struggles in the league, but he showed that there were a couple of occasions when Lowry was out that he had to play some decent minutes. He didn't look lost whatsoever. In the D-League, he was pretty impressive. 17.7, 5, and 6.5 and with 1.6 steals, shooting 54% and 36 from 3. I'm really... I'm into dealing right? I think that he is a dynasty acquisition for three years' time, and he really does have top 65 potential. He is... A, and I was massively high on the point guard class from last season. Payne... Wright, um, Jerry and Grant. Wright is a guy that I'm, I'm really, really excited about to, to see what we're going to get from him. That leaves us with Bruno Cabolo. He was the second worst player in on-off numbers, just pipped by Luis Scholar at negative 10.7. 
It was 464th in nine cat leagues and 464th in eight cat leagues. One of the worst players in the league in terms of fantasy. He played a grand total of, I'll probably, I'll get this number accurate. Let's have a look. How many minutes did um, Bruno play? 43. He posted a PER of negative, yep, negative 7.7. He posted a true shooting of 12.5%. Atrocious. He had an offensive box score plus minus of negative 11.4. He had negative win shares. He had a turnover percentage of 25%. But basically, he played the equivalent of of a game and a half. So I'm not reading anything into these. I acquired Bruno Cabolo in our Red Rock Dynasty League. I think I what I give up a future second and a future third round to get him, and that's a, a, a 16 team league. I think that with James Johnson going, with some minutes opening up on the wing, I think that we see some development from him this season. They played him the first season. He didn't play at all. He didn't play with the main team. He didn't play with the D League team. But with the D-League getting their, their own... or well, the Raptors getting their own D-League team this season, they played him, and they played him a lot. And he looked good. He played 37 games at 34 minutes apiece. He averaged 14.7 points. He, he's a small forward, remember. He averaged 6.5 rebounds. He gave you 1.7 assists, but he's the kicker. He gave you 1.1 steals and 1.8 blocks per game. He shot 40... 40, 73, and 34. Numbers that really can, they can stand improvements. A defensive box score plus minus of 1.9. 1.9. Big, big strides forward from Bruno this season. A block percentage of 4.1. Biombo, I think, led the league in block percentage at 6.1. He had a block percentage in the D-League similar to what Naguera had for the main team. I am... I'm really excited... He was 8th in the, in the entire D-League in blocks per game. It's not going to happen for two more years. But he is going to contribute this season. He will not be outside the top 400 this season, I'm pretty sure. He, he might be 320th. He might be 260th. But he's not going to play 43 minutes. He's going to play 700 minutes. He might play 800 minutes. He might play 1,000 minutes. I think the Bruno is ready to take a step forward. I think that letting James Johnson go, he fits into James Johnson's role. He takes James Johnson's minutes. And James Johnson... So I can't say James Johnson enough. He, James Johnson played 926 minutes. I think that he fits into some of that. And yes, Power will take some of those minutes, but that's where he fits. And really, really interested to see what uh, what he can do. But starting to develop nicely for, uh, what's a team called? Raptors 905? Yeah, Raptors 905. Starting to develop really nicely. And he's 20 years old. 20. He's the youngest player on this team by a significant margin. By the end of his rookie contract, he'll be 22. He signs an extension, a four-year extension. He'll be 26, but he is so, so young. He might be six years away from you know, even challenging the top 100, but he can do it. And I think that he does have you know, that, those sort of shot-blocking abilities. He reminds me a little bit of a, of a Nick Batum, I think, with, with his, um, his skill set. He needs to hit threes at a little bit of a higher rate, but I think that's the sort of player he can be. He is just ludicrously long, and when you see the length there, it looks great, and when it transitions into actual defensive stats, that is a real positive. I, am su- I need to watch more D-League games. I need to watch some more Bruno, but he, he looks like he's, uh, he's, coming, he's going the right way, and I think that if someone told me in three years' time, or we went back and said, you know, Bruno Cabolo is a top 30 player, 
I wouldn't go, that is bullshit. I would go, yeah, fair enough. I, I, I could, yeah, there was a 5% chance of it happening, but I could see it. If someone said to me, Tony Roden's a top 30 player, I would I would call bullshit at the top of my lungs. Bruno Cabolo, really interested. I think his fantasy game is going to be going to be strong and took massive, massive strides this season. All right, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back to um, introduce a, a new competition yeah, brought brought to you by a new sponsor of the podcast. So, so stick around and uh, tune in for that. I saw your picture today Got me thinking about the things that I would say But I know you're happy now When you're someplace far away Away, away, away And I can't remember the way you taste You taste, you taste I walk down your old street And I wonder if I'll we'll ever meet again Without a second glance you turned your back My friend, this is the end, the end, the end And I can't pretend I'm ready to be your friend So don't go, don't you know my friend I'm the one that made your heart break so, so long ago We are back and we're going to... Um, Talk, talk about a, a new a new idea we've got on this podcast and it's brought to you by a new sponsor of the show and that new sponsor is Fan Essentials. Now you would have heard the sponsor we had previously, Loot Crate, and they were offering you know, nerdish stuff which you can still go and use that uh, that URL, lootcrate.com slash redrock and the promo code redrock over there. But we've got Fan Essentials on board now as a podcast uh, as a podcast sponsor. And Fan Essentials is basically Loot Crate for sports. Listen up. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? All you need to do is check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. The guys at Fan Essentials find the sports gear so you don't have to, and each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan as well. The prices start at $34.99 per month, but if you visit fanessentials.net and use the promo code REDROCK, which is one word, at the checkout, you get 30% off your first month. Check out fanessentials.net and get all the essentials you need. Again, this is great. This is NBA stuff. You can get hats and t-shirts and all sorts of NBA stuff. And you've got different um, month packs where you can sign up for, for this stuff. And that sends to your, to your door. It's a great surprise every month. The contest that Fan Essentials is doing is this podcast, the Red Rock Fantasy Basketball Monster Podcast. What we are doing is I can give away one free month subscription to Fan Essentials each week. Yep, that's a pretty good deal. So when I was speaking to these guys, they said, how do you want to do it? I said, what I want to do is the best question that I get sent to me for the week, they will get themselves a free month subscription to Fan Essentials. So if you like Fan Essentials anyway, go across to the website and use that promo code and sign up and get 30% off. If you want to get a free month to try it out, send me a question and make it bloody good because then I could pick you as the question of the week and you will get one free month of Fan Essentials. Let's take us on to the questions now. Mark from Toronto, he says, 
well, he just asked a question about what I just answered. He says, Bruno Cabolo, will he see any time with the Raptors next season? After his draft year, the team seemed focused on building and training his body. In this past year, he got lots of D-League playing time. Is he still two years away from being two years away, as they said on draft night? He is a lengthy player and reminds me of the Greek freak. Yes, that is a fair um, comparison. Is he? No, he's not. He, he, he might be one year away from really being a solid contributor. I think he becomes a decent rotation piece next season, as I mentioned, Mark. Good question, though. Dylan Lippman, these guys are going after my boys in these questions. Dylan Lippman says, what role would Bebe play? Big one. I reckon a real big one because there's, I don't think there's any chance Biombo's back. Maybe they bring another center in, but I think that Bebe is really ready to contribute in a backup center role. Really excited. Greg Taves doesn't ask me a question, just says, can't wait. Well, Greg, I hope you did enjoy the podcast because Greg is in our, our Red Rock Dynasty League and I think he has got every Raptors young player on his team. I think he had Normie Power, Dylan Wright, Bebe Naguera. Doesn't have Bruno. So, Greg, if you want Bruno... Um, speak to me and I might, uh, might be able to get him going your way Ben Clark says is Bismack Biombo the new Jim McIlvain or Adonal Foyle Limit- limited to the point it hurts their new team and are overpaid exponentially I did touch on that already Ben um, yeah he's pretty limited in one direction and he's going to get overpaid and it's going to I don't see a team with Bismack Biombo getting $20 million as a starting center challenging for the conference finals they might be an eighth seed, but I don't think it's a good team. Danny, actually, we'll get to yours in a sec, Danny. John Murphy, in anticipation of a possible DeRozan departure, what were Lowry's on-off numbers with and without DeRozan? Good question. So I went through and had a look at a few stats with these guys. So Kyle Lowry, when he played with DeMar DeRozan on the court, he had a true shooting of 53.3%. He had a usage of 24.9%. He scored 1.08 points per position. He had an assist rate of 8.6 per 100 possessions and steals of 2.9 per 100 possessions. That's what I looked at. With DeRozan off, his true shooting jumped by 2.5% up to 55.9, basically league average, which is okay for a point guard. His usage went from 24.9 to 30.9. Huge. His points per possession went from 1.08 to 1.12. So not only did he increase his usage, but he increased his efficiency as well. His assist rate went from 8.6 to 8.9, which I think would surprise a lot of people. I would initially, when I was looking at it, yeah, his assist will drop when he's not playing with DeRozan. They went up. His assist rate went up playing without DeRozan. The only thing that decreased with his steal rate went from 2.9 down to 2.4. If DeRozan is gone, then you would have to expect Lowry to take a little bit of a, bu- a jump in some of his numbers. Now, I'd already talked about would I take him in the top 10, no, I wouldn't, but I might bump him one or two spots higher if DeRozan happens to be gone next season. Good question, John. Joseph Diffenbach is back, and he says, I'm back asking questions. With Biombo likely moving on, will Valanchunas finally get to play over 30 minutes a game? That is the hope, Joseph. I would say it's a 75% chance that that happens. They have to give him the ball. He is that talented. Dwayne Casey just got an extension. He does shit me a lot, Dwayne Casey, but let's hope that he figures out. And let's go back and watch the playoff games where Valentinus was healthy and watch him just destroy worlds. Lam Huynh says, what, in, what is Norman Powell's outlook in the next two years? Good question. I really like Powell. I think that, yeah, he can become... I think he can become a top 100 player in the next two seasons. It might not be next season, and that is really dependent on DeRozan's situation, DeRozan's departure. But Powell can be a real key player, and maybe it takes him three years if DeRozan's still there. But I think that he is a starting caliber player. 
So what are the three most likely destinations for Biombo? I wouldn't be shocked to see him in, say, Portland. Um, back in Charlotte is not out of the question. I hope it's not in Chicago. He might find himself in... Where else might, might he find himself? Yeah, probably the, the number number one. Maybe he finds himself in Los Angeles with the Lakers. They don't have a center. He would be, it would be interesting in Los Angeles, I think, Bismarck. Interesting to see how they worked it out. And Lamb... Just um, you, you offered a comment on a, on Facebook the other day, um, speaking about the Red Rock Thirty Team League. Um, Xavier, who's in the league, said that you are one of the best fantasy players that he's played against. So that's pretty high praise, Lamb. So uh, thank you for listening and thank you for contributing. Now, Danny, he asked the question: What is Jonas's ceiling, and do you, you do you have him as your first pick in the Thirty Team Dynasty due to age? I assume you mean first pick if you, if you choose the Raptors. Do you pick Balanchunas over Lowry? And that depends on a lot of things. Uh, ceiling, I think it's massive. I think he's a top thirty, top thirty-five player. I think that's that's his ceiling. If you pick the Raptors, do you pick him? Now we touched on Larry's age already. It depends. How aggressive do you want to be in a dynasty? If you're going win now, you pick Larry. No, no contest. If you're looking to build slower, then I reckon you have to almost take Valanciunas. It's a ballsy call, and given the way that that league is structured, Danny, I think that if you're picking the Raptors. And depending on where, where you're picking them, are you picking them at pick... If they slide to you at pick 26, then I would take Valentunas there and build up that way. If you're picking them at pick 11, now I might want to go harder and pick Lowry. I, I don't know. Cause I just don't think they're going to slide to a deep enough spot. And then Danny also asks, can you ask? Can you explain what each advanced metric actually means? And that is a good question. So let's talk about a few of these advanced metrics that I talk about. Win shares is basically what's defined. And you can, these are all on the basketball reference page and basketball reference slash about slash glossary. That's where you can find it. Win shares is an estimate of the number of wins contributed by a player. It is based on a very convoluted formula that is developed based on a system Bill James had for baseball in his win shares and on another stat that Dean Oliver created called points produced. There's a number of things that go into it, but it's basically how many wins did this player contribute to this team? Kyle Lowry had, how many did he have? Win shares. Kyle Lowry had 11.6. So out of the uh, 56 games that the Raptors won, 11.6 can be directly attributed to Kyle Lowry. Anthony Bennett had 0.1. So out of the 56 wins that the Raptors had, Anthony Bennett, in his 84 minutes, contributed 0.1 wins. Win shares per 48 is just literally win shares divided by 48 minutes. So it's like a, a, not a cumulative number, a rate number. What else have we got? Box score plus minus. It takes the box score stats and it tries to give it an indication. It's, what has it describe it? It's a box score based metric for evaluating players' quality and contribution to the team. It is based on performance relative to league average, is a per 100 possession stat, and zero is league average. So if you've got a box score plus minus of zero, you are average. If you are plus five, you are five points better than an average player which is at an all-NBA level. If you are negative two, you're considered replacement level. If you're negative five, you're terrible. That's the way it works. It's just based, and there's a big formula when you go and look at all this stuff, and if you're really into math, there's a fair bit of math that go into it. You can go and have a look at the the equation to, to work it out, but there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, in that goes into working out this equation. True shooting percentage, probably a bit of an easier one to work out. True shooting percentage is basically what the shooting percentage of a player is taking into consideration three-pointers and free-throw attempts. That's all it is. It's total points divided by 
you know, total shot attempts, free throws, threes, and points with certain weights attributed to them. There's a bit of a formula, but it's not it's not overly uh, complex to do it. PR is a, an all-in-one metric just designed to say yeah, how impactful this player. 15 is league average. It's always going to be league average for that metric, but it, it does tend to skew uh, favor towards big men. What other, what other numbers do we... Well, they're probably the main ones. Yeah, VORP is an extension of box score plus minus. Box score plus minus is a rate stat, so it's per 100 possessions. VORP tries to boil it down to a total value over the course of the season you know, based on minutes and playing time and all that sort of stuff. So VORP and, and box score plus minus do go hand in hand. We are done for today's podcast, guys. Remember the, the schedule I talked about at the start, Spurs tomorrow and then Cavs and Warriors after that, depending on when the finals actually finished. Don't forget to check out our NBA Mock Draft pod. Myself, Cole McEwen, Matt Smith, Mark Roberts, um, Aaron Bruski, Dean Vasic, a great listener of the show. He's going to be joining us for that podcast as well. Um, Matt Sanfrone as well from the Friendly Bounce, part of Hardwood Paroxysm. Heaps of stuff. It's going to be a great show. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts, and leave a review. It is tremendously helpful for the show. Thumbs up on, on YouTube and subscribe there as well. Check out Hey, we've got lots of people to check out. Fan tracks, fanessentials.net, hardwood paroxysm, basketball monster. You know about basketball monster. It is the best site for your fantasy basketball team, for daily fantasy, for seasonal fantasy, for dynasty leagues. You can go in and start using all these tools now. Even though the season's over, you can still garner a lot of information out of basketball monster. We're done. Good show. I think it was a good show. Maybe I'm being modest. Maybe I'm not being honest. I think it was a pretty informative show. Hey, let me know. If you think it was shit, let me know as well. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.